How's it going, guys? It is Wednesday, February 5th. This week on the podcast, Brian Hoffman, CEO of Open Bazaar, joins me as a guest. Open Bazaar is a decentralized marketplace for the buying and selling of goods using crypto. It's a very well-known project that's been around for a long time, and Brian does an awesome job explaining what they're doing and what the long-term goals look like for Open Bazaar. So before we start the episode, make sure you go into the description below and click on the link to make a contribution if you like this episode. It can be small, it can be large, it doesn't matter. Making a contribution helps keep the ads away just a little bit longer and also helps keep the podcast at a high quality level. So with that said, be sure to subscribe if you have not already and share this episode with somebody that you think would like to learn more about Open Bazaar or blockchain. Enjoy. This is the Block Hash Podcast. All right, Brian, how are you doing? Very good, thank you. Where are you based out of? Uh, Washington, D.C., Belly of the Beast. Oh, really? Yep. Very cool, very cool. So to start off the podcast, for my audience who are probably familiar with who you are a little bit, but for those that aren't, tell me a little bit about your background and how you kind of got into the, the crypto space. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, I started out as, a every other bright eyed, bushy tailed, uh, computer science grad. And, uh, since I live in the DC area, um, you know, <laughs> tons of people here going to government, uh, it consulting, which is what I did. And I happened to start working with groups that were focused on cybersecurity, um, and encryption, technologies and messaging, things like that. And so I, I ended up working with uh, the Department of Defense and Health and Human Services and different agencies, and like classified agencies doing encryption work. And so, you know, it's only a matter of time before if you're in that field that you come across cryptocurrencies. And, uh, you know, from there, I got the bug. So, you know, and that eventually led to working on open source software and, and kind of led to Open Bazaar. Very cool. Have you always been in DC? Uh, since I was a, a small kid, yeah, for most of my life. Long enough to be a Redskins fan and, and regret it. But, uh, <laughs> Think the Redskins will be good next year? Uh, I, I have a few <laughs> friends on Twitter that are Redskins, so I don't want to say anything, but I, I sure hope so. We'll just say I hope so. <laughs> yeah, I guess we'll find out. So regarding Open Bazaar, how did that come to be? Like, What was the inspiration or driver to, to create it? Yeah. So Open Bazaar spun out of a project or a, a hackathon project called Dark Market created by Amir Taki and the guys behind uh, Edge Wallet. And they won the contest in Toronto and, and uh, it became pretty public, uh, you know, back in 2014. This is early 2014. So there weren't a lot of like really great use cases for crypto quite yet. You know, I mean, Ethereum hadn't even come on the scene yet or at least it hadn't materialized yet. So, um, you know, people were very excited about the idea of like having some kind of decentralized app before the word DAP existed. And this was like the first tangible example of that. So it was really, really cool. And, um, and it was only just a few months off of when Silk Road got shut down, which was to the, to that date, you know, I think that was probably the largest kind of like user driven, um, market, you know, place for crypto usage. So was Bitcoin like the um, the only crypto that used at the time? It was it was uh, Bitcoin was the only currency that was supported originally. 
So how does it differ from Silk Road or even eBay in terms of how it works? Well, kind of conceptually, they're all marketplaces, right? You have a merchant, you have a buyer, and then you have some mechanism to find each other and and, and in some way to process that, that transaction. Um, in the case of eBay, obviously, it's eBay that is the middleman. And uh, obviously, there's like, you know, a lot of undesirable pieces of that, which is that they can charge whatever they want to do that. Um, you know, if they go down for any reason, their website goes down or they're not available, they can't do anything. There's also um, the idea around control and the rules. They have to follow the rules and, and kind of go along with that. And it's not available everywhere. Um, Silk Road kind of uh, took this approach to, you know, really like aggressively go and say, hey, look, now we have cryptocurrency. Let's take, let's recreate eBay, but then just, you know, focus on the things that nobody's allowed to do on all these, you know, on Amazon or eBay or, or um, Etsy or whatever. And it ended up kind of going, starting from this like libertarian dream marketplace that allowed everything to really honing in on illegal uh, drugs for the most part um, and, and several other smaller things. Right. And I think most people are probably familiar with that. But uh, one of the limitations of what they did was they kind of decentralized the, the payment processing piece, but everything else was still the exact same model. Right. Like you had to go to their central web server you know, even though it was in the dark net and they were the middleman and they got fees for processing transactions and they handled any kind of disputes you have. So you really only kind of like went part of the way in, in truly decentralizing that whole marketplace concept and open bazaar flips that all on its end. And, and I, I can't say a hundred percent decentralized because there's obviously a few things that are very difficult to do in a truly decentralized fashion, but uh, it gets very, very, it gets dangerously close to like being completely uh, decentralized and resilient um, against any of those uh, critiques. So what allows Open Bazaar to be more decentralized um, compared to Silk Road and how that led to like Ross's conviction and everything? Um, does Open Bazaar work like locally on your computer when you when you download it? Does it, are there any centralized servers or is it? Like what? what's the backbone for it? Well, just like Napster was kind of like a peer-to-peer technology, but still fairly centralized and they were able to be shut down. Um, mm-hmm. We're more like the Bit- BitTorrent model. So each uh, computer that like spins up OpenBazaar is actually acting as a, as a independent peer and they run sort of like a server software in the background that connects to the network directly. It doesn't go through any like you know, open like it doesn't go to openbazaar.com and then route out to other people. It goes directly to each individual. So it starts with one or two people connected to it, and then it finds more people and more people, and it keeps building out this network of peers, and and then it can kind of communicate with any node on the network through these other other uh, computers. So um, and that goes for even our mobile app Haven. Um, the you know normally a mobile app would just talk to a central server and then kind of be like a lightweight app on your phone that just talks to other servers. In our case, it actually runs an entire OpenBazaar server on your mobile device. And then it talks directly to other mobile devices and other computers uh, without going through any any central servers. Okay. So Haven is the the mobile app for OpenBazaar, right? Yeah. So OpenBazaar is really just an it's an open protocol. So anybody mm-hmm. can build software that runs on top of OpenBazaar and does all these things. Now it's complicated. So a lot of people don't, but 
Um, Haven, our mobile app, when I say ours, OB1, my company, um, we built Haven, which is like a mobile interface on top of OpenBazaar. And so it's interoperable with the desktop software and any other software that people decide to build on it on OpenBazaar. But it's, uh, you know, it's a, it has a little bit of special sauce that we put in it to, to do different things on the mobile device. So, so what's the benefit of using or creating Haven, um, for OpenBazaar? Is it just more usability or giving the user more options or is there another plan beyond that? Yeah. I'm, uh, the, the mobile app, I mean, obviously, you know, in this day and age, like most people don't want to have to like start, you know, install a desktop application and run that just to go shopping or to like sell something really quickly, uh, like mm-hmm. Craigslist style. So, you know, it made sense to try and get on mobile, but there's obviously a lot of differences between the way that you can run and distribute software on the desktop as you can on mobile device. And so knowing that going into uh, the development of Haven, we, we recognized that and we had to make some decisions uh, that made it not quite fully aligned with like the complete 100% open source transparent model. So on desktop, for instance, you know, we have the concept of adding search engines to it. So like, um, you know, just like BitTorrent, you can go to different indexing services like Pirate Bay, if you were looking for movies or whatever, or there's others. And, um, and they kind of like monitor the network, and then they curate their website, their view of what's available on the network. And there's others that do a different view. Maybe they only focus on books or whatever. Um, it's the same with Open Bazaar. Like people can run software, monitor the network, and then create uh, like a search engine. Uh, and, it, and then people are allowed to plug those into their Open Bazaar desktop software. And so like, for instance, if, you know, I live in Chinese, China and I want like, you know, someone creates a Chinese search engine and only lists Chinese items, um, maybe I add that because that's convenient for me. Um, and then you can add OB1 search if you want, just like our view of things. On the mobile device, we lock it down to OB1 search because, um, you know, w- when we go through the app review process with Apple or Google, the first thing they do is they start looking for uh, things that are not allowed by their guidelines. Say something as simple as vape pens or uh, cigarettes or something like that, right? Things that aren't necessarily mm-hmm. illegal, but they don't, they don't, they aren't allowed in the app stores. So um, we have to be able to create some kind of level of like filter for, for users. So it's not just a uh, free for all on the mobile device. Whereas on desktop, you have a lot more liberty. So, you know, in our minds, we thought it doesn't really represent the true spirit of what Open Bazaar is supposed to be as an open project. But, you know, we can kind of pull it under the OB1 umbrella and kind of do a better job of articulating the differences between that app and Open Bazaar, even though they run on the same network. It It's very interesting. I've known of Open Bazaar for a while and I've used it a few times. But it, it seems like it's very reputation based. Like I don't see where uh, dispute resolution can ever come into play. Uh, for the most part, it, it seems like you really have to trust who your your seller is when you buy something. Yeah, I mean that's it's. There's kind of. I mean, this is an experiment. I mean, you have to admit that like mm-hmm. what we're doing is, is is somewhat of an experiment, and so nothing is really perfect or absolute here. But the way that we've got it is there's a couple different trust models that you you can take depending on your risk level, right? Like, so mm-hmm. um, there are vendors that are very well known that have stores and people may trust them, or maybe like it's Andreas Antonopoulos's store and he doesn't, 
you know, you can just pay him directly just like you would a website. So you pay him money and then you hope he sends the product because you can trust him or you, you think you can trust him. So there's this direct model. And then we have moderation model, which is an option. And you could say, hey, I don't know this guy. This is just Joe Schmo on the internet. I want moderation protection. So you you choose a moderator, which is like a person who handles disputes. And if for some reason something comes up in the in the transaction that, that that's not to your liking, you can flag this this order for dispute. And then that moderator will kind of come in, who will step into the process. And just like customer support for eBay or Amazon would do, this person can step in and, and make a decision or a determination on what needs to happen. And that can be a refund back to the buyer. It could be releasing money to the merchant because the buyer disappeared or something. Um, or it could just be that, I, you know, he doesn't know how to handle the situation, doesn't have enough information. You guys are not giving him enough information. And he has to just split it 50-50 between the two because it just can't be decided. But um, there is sort of an other uh, enhancement that we've made to that, which is, you know, Obi One as a service, we've uh, we've reached out to a lot of the moderators and we've we've kind of vetted them, so to speak. We've get, we get contact information. We know who they are. We know where to find them. We ask them to be responsive for a certain you know within a certain period of time. Sort of like eBay kind of requires their staff to do, and we keep them on a list and we continually monitor that. And when they fall out of uh, compliance, we remove them from the list. And they're called verified mods. And it's not completely foolproof. Like I'm sure somebody can get around it. They can choose to not follow the rules, but at least provides an extra level uh, of reputation on top of the system uh, that people can choose to use or not choose to use. But generally, when you're using those moderators, you can be assured that at least um, they were trustworthy at some point and have had uh, successful transactions and people have been pleased with them. Yeah, it definitely seems like it helps to have those moderators in place. Is there a way to like look at reviews or a history of successful sales like from a vendor like before you go to like actually purchase something? Yeah, so each each merchant has like a reviews tab within the uh within their profiles and you can look and see uh what people have rated them. Um yeah, so it's it's kind of a very basic uh reputation system. It's it's you know, there's there's some flaws in it, but you know we're working on trying to find better ways to improve it. And the cool thing about be- Open Bazaar being open is that um, you know you can kind of monitor the network for those reviews and and see how users are have you know connections to each other. And so things that might not be possible to do within a system like eBay or Yelp, where you you look at the reviews and you're like, how much can I trust this? Because you know Yelp can like remove these reviews or they can fake these reviews or whatever. You know ours have cryptographic signature so you can prove that like this person that reviewed it actually reviewed them they can't like say oh hey jimmy gave me five stars for this order when he didn't because they're signed and you can you can find out if they're faked or spoofed um reviews so it's kind of just like this like radical transparency for for a marketplace okay yeah well obviously there's always issues with reviews and on any platform you know some someone might be aggrieved and put up a review that isn't quite truthful or or there might not be enough reviews to truly vet someone based on a few transactions. I mean, there's, there's always issues with that for sure. Yeah, you, you really, when you're when you're buying stuff online, I mean, I think a lot of people tend to rely on one, one particular signal as a, you know, a go or no go. And I think you really have to look at things like this, especially in like when you're dealing with anonymous people, you have to look at a several different signals. Could be, 
you know, looking at our Slack or subreddit or whatever, or seeing what people are saying about them online. Because a lot of times, you know, if somebody comes in and tries to scam or they're, or they're not trustworthy or they don't fulfill their end of the bargain, uh, they get reported very quickly across the community and it become well known for, for that behavior. So, um, it is still kind of grassroots in that way, but until we have like a much better reputation system in place, it, it seems to be working so far. Yeah. I mean, the good thing about the reputation system is if someone is, you know, taking money and not making deliveries or doing, uh, things they shouldn't be doing or taking advantage of the system, they'll probably get called out very quickly, you know, and they won't get away with it for very long. And in a lot of ways, it incentivizes a vendor to take care of your customer and it incentivizes a customer in some ways to to be good to your vendors. It, it works a lot like Uber. Like I've always kind of thought about that, like your reputation, your score um, really does kind of play into like how successful you'll be on on whatever platform it is. Yeah, for sure. In terms of like privacy, is there a degree of anonymity with um, with vendors and with users on the platform or is it like a user level type of responsibility? Um, like what goes into that? So there's a couple different situations. Um, if you use the mobile app, um, we don't, we don't yet support, um, running the app with Tor, uh, on desktop we do. Um, so you can, so if you install like, let's say a Tor browser on your computer, when you open up open bazaar, it will notice that you, you have that running and it will ask you if you want to run open bazaar through Tor and it will set that up for you. Um, in the future, we'd like it to just have Tor kind of like bundled with the software at all times and you can choose to use it. And if it weren't for the fact that the network is kind of, uh, slow to, to be brief about it. Um, you know, we'd love to enable it on all transactions, but open bazaar is pretty conversational. It sends a lot of messages out back and forth, you know, to different people to kind of like flesh out the network. So it's not very like light. And so when you're running it through a kind of a, a secondary layer, like, like Tor, it gets very slow. It's not really, it wasn't really constructed for the peer to peer model. And so, um, we don't do it by default, but yeah, it's pretty straightforward to get it, get it running. And when you do so, um, you're, you're hidden behind the Tor network. One caveat to that is that if users are um, not on Tor, they can't really access your your storefront because you are in the darknet and then, you know, the buyer would say not be in the darknet and you can't really cross over those networks. Just like you can't just type in a blah, 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 dot onion address in your browser if you're not using Tor. You just won't be able to access it because they're two separate networks. So it gets a little weird. Um, it's still kind of technical. But um, if, if you're determined to do so, uh, yeah, it can be very helpful. Is there like a, um, like a community chat room per se or on Open Bazaar or even off Open Bazaar where people like talk about this stuff regarding um, what they see like on the marketplace? Yeah, so we have a few different uh, communities and we're, we're trying to consolidate it, but it's kind of every time we, you know, every time a new software comes out, they, people spin up a new community, but we have, um, our main, our main community. And, and this is probably mostly for like merchants, mods, developers, not so much buyers. We don't see a ton of people that are just like casual users, but, um, our Slack channel, our openbazaar.slack.com, which you can sign up for. Um, 
uh, there's a lot of conversation in there about these different things. Like we have a channel for like reputation and for support and all this other stuff. And then we also have a key base channel and we also have, um, I think we have an IRC channel. So we have a couple of different places where people can go. And I think Telegram as well. So, I mean, we're all over the place and we try to monitor those all the time, but it really just depends on what, what you like to use. We're, we're kind of all over the place. Are you guys on Discord? I think we we had a Discord and I believe we shut it down just because oh, it was probably our least well-performing uh, community and it was getting really? a lot of spam. Interesting. So what would you say is the, if you had to pick one, the best platform to go to that's the most active? It would be Slack for sure. Yeah. Slack. Okay. In terms of Open Bazaar's future, like, do you see it realistically being able to get as big as an eBay or as an Amazon, or is its future to be kept like much more smaller and niche for like the market that it's kind of um, providing for right now? I think a lot of that, I think that question can be very well answered by what happens in the future for crypto. I think, you know, there's, there's been a very tectonic shift over the last few years to go from, you know, this is just digital cash to like now it's these complex financial instruments and it supports DeFi and like there's all these, you know, crazy loaning protocols and all this stuff going on on top of it. And I think, you know, this like just using cryptocurrency has kind of like lost its luster a little bit for people like they, they just are inundated with Venmo and all these other options that are just streamlining spending. But I think as crypto grows and starts getting into more people's hands and it starts to scale better where you know it, it can support those kinds of activities i think something like open bazaar whether it is open bazaars or just a derivative or something that comes later i i believe that this this crypto commerce kind of um software will definitely succeed so we're trying very hard to like survive long enough to to be the one that does that but you know it's um you know we've been doing this for like six years now and I mean, we thought we'd have 100 million users by now. And I think a lot of people in crypto thought that we'd be even bigger than we are now. And even though it has come so far, I think we were a little bit jaded to think that it was going to be very easy to disrupt, you know, entireties of Amazon and eBay and banking and all these things, right? Like, I mean, they're, they're, they're long-term goals. And I think, you know, a lot of people that have been in the space for a long time have started to become more realistic about that. So... Uh, yeah, I mean, we'd love for it to be, to just keep growing and growing and growing. And and so that's, that's kind of how we're going on it. But, um, you know, really it takes like a mental shift. I think if, if, you know, it just, the, the actual usage of crypto becomes more, more, uh, of a driving factor of like what people are doing, then yeah, I think it will start to take off even more. Yeah. I mean, open bazaar is pretty well known in the in the crypto world and i it feels very tied to the ups and the downs that this the crypto market really has and the cycles that it goes through what kind of future do you see for crypto do you think that it's gonna start gaining more traction again do you think that it's just gonna shift away from um this idea of cryptocurrency and then we'll just see more like dApps being built or where do you see this market going I mean, I think that, you know, one of the one of the real tough barriers to entry for dApps, I think, is 
you know, if you're ha- if you have a DAP that requires people to actually have a cryptocurrency, you have to create easy ways for them to get the cryptocurrency. And until now, like there's just been a lot, mostly, you know, okay, we'll plug in Coinbase, let's say, and then you have to buy some with your credit card and then you get it and then you can kind of play in the sandbox with everybody else. Um, I think we have to do a better job of allowing people to like really earn crypto. And, you know, that's that's one of the driving factors of like not having credit card support in Open Bazaar is that, you know, we could allow people to plug in Stripe or something else. And, you know, maybe that would get more people uh, using it. But then they, they're going to continually be thinking like, well, I need to get out of crypto, you know, to go do this, or I need to go into crypto to do that. And it's like, we want people to just be thinking natively crypto, you know, crypto. And so we want people to earn crypto in OpenBazaar and turn around and spend it on OpenBazaar and like continue to do that, uh, create that virtuous cycle of ec- economic activity. I mean, that's that's the ideal state. And so we're not as interested in creating something that's just another, just another bridge to the legacy world you know like we're trying to like reinvent what's going on here and like change things dramatically not just a little tiny bit so that we can carve off one percent profit for ourselves you know yeah no absolutely and especially in the last few years there have been a lot of different on ramps that have uh, been started to get people in and out of crypto um, much more easily outside of just coinbase too um, and that could be stable coins that could be earning through something like lolly or having the option to to pay directly um, on on a major retailer site like Amazon in crypto. Um, there's been all, all kinds of different developments, but I, I think it'll depend on more so the level of interest people have in using crypto and wanting to use it for that purpose. I don't know, maybe another financial recession will come or something that'll drive people more away from the banks and more into um, into this space again. But it just seems like there's a bit of a lack of interest in it at the moment, but I think that's probably the key here for for anyone that's in this space is seeing that interest come back. Yeah, it will be it will be fascinating to see if and when that happens because, you know, I mean, just for instance, like I got back from San Francisco yesterday and like I ha- I was riding in an Uber to the airport and uh you know I the guy he goes oh what are you here for and I said I'm here for work he's like what do you do I said oh I work in bitcoin and then he just started chuckling and uh, he's like oh yeah that that stuff's dead man that's so dead it's over and I'm like I hope it's not I have a company based on it and he's like well you know it's just I don't know I can't see it ever coming back you know and I was like well did you ever were you ever into crypto and he said yeah, he's like, I actually bought this Uber with the profits from trading crypto when it was like going up. And I was like, so this guy is like knows enough. He was interested enough to make tens of thousands of dollars buy a car with it. And and then now just because of this recent drop, he's like already disillusioned. He doesn't think it's ever going to come back. So, you know, I'm sure he's not a one off. I'm sure there's a ton of people that were out mm-hmm. there thinking, oh, I'm going to get rich off this. Um you know, and they either lost money or they made money and then and then that, that opportunity dried up. But, you know, it's going to take a lot to get people back in. And I would prefer to see people getting in because there's like really cool software opportunities, ways to earn and uh, and to explore crypto without having to like have another get rich quick or die trying moment, you know, in the space. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah, and I, I think what's also helping is slowly people are 
getting away from the idea of, oh, you can just buy and sell it and invest in crypto. Um, but nowadays you can, you can invest in terms of um, these dApps and what's being built. Like you can get into NFTs and, and the I, different ideas of like Providence and supply chain. Um, and you can actually start building stuff realistically that people can use. And I think that'll drive a lot more attention and better attention rather than people just looking for a speculative investment. And that, that in the end might be enough to not only turn around the interest in the market, but hopefully create something a little bit more sustainable. Yeah. I, I think from like, um, from people that are just kind of tech savvy or they like this kind of stuff, um, you know, the kind of people that read Wired magazine and stuff like that, which there are millions of those, those people out there. I think that this all makes really good sense to them. And I think that they're willing to try these things and they probably will be dabbling with all this and kind of getting more into it. I think the, the question that I still have is like, how do we get those, those dApps and things to a place where anybody can use it and want to use it? You know, like, um, you know, like it, it's still, there's still like some hurdles. I mean, like you look at dApps and, and nifty products, like, like let's say Dapper Labs and stuff. And I mean, mm. even I sometimes, and this is not to pick on them. I mean, they're, they're a fellow portfolio company for our, our investors, but, and, and I like, I like what they're doing. I think they're probably the, one of the best in the space, but this still, it's still difficult, right? I mean, you mm. look at it and there's, there's kind of, there's jargon, there's weird things that happen that are unexpected people aren't really sure how to get in and out of those things. Where can I use it? Um, and, uh, you know, we have the same problems with our software. We, we get people that get confused because they see it. It looks approachable because we've all done good jobs of, of, you know, UI design and like making things look great. But when it comes to the user experience, um, it's just very hard to paper over all the weird little rough edges of crypto. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's a, it's a dual, it's a dual headed effort. It's, it's not just building like cool clients that people can, can play with, but also the underlying technology has to be streamlined and like really work well because everything that's built on top of it is, it's going to, it's going to rely on that. Yeah. And I also think there's a lack of like education in the space and education in terms of getting, um, coders and students that want to get into coding interested in blockchain. I think LinkedIn came out like a couple of weeks ago and said blockchain is like the number one job going into 2020 or something like that. Uh, number one job in demand. And I, that's probably for good reason too, because there's probably just not enough ways for people to learn how to build on blockchain. And I yeah. imagine that that's a huge um, hurdle to overcome if you're trying to build anything in this space, trying to find someone that, um, not only understands uh, the vision of what you're trying to do, but also knows how to how to build something in that sense. Yeah, that's that's for sure. Um, you know, and you know, our company is it's not that big, but um, you know, we we our first few critical hires at the company were were just people that had worked on the project for open source, contributed, and really understood what we were doing and liked it and and it made sense to bring them on board. And then we started to kind of branch out from there and hire people that weren't really even in the crypto space, but were just like IT specialists or whatever. And it's interesting to see, um, you know, they, they kind of come in with a kind of skeptical eye, but being optimistic and then they learn more and they get really excited. And then they kind of like hit this, this inflection point where they understand what the power 
could be, but then they start learning limitations. And then the tough part comes where you're trying to push through that. You're trying to really come up with the breakthrough that is going to simplify things, make things better, make people want to use this. And and that's that's the that's the challenge that we're at with a lot of these projects. You know, we went through 2017 where people just came up with an idea and like, oh, I'm on a blockchain, you know, movie scripts. <laughs> and it's like mm-hmm. or produce or or whatever it is, and you know, and it's just like, okay, well, that I guess that could work, you know, and we throw a bunch of money at it and then two years goes by and then they're like, either it's not going to work or you get stuck because you have to find, you have to find, you know, where is this really helping people? Is this just like a BS idea that you didn't really think through or is this actually something that's useful to humanity? Um, so, you know, that it's just, that's what that's where a lot of this mockery around the ICO space comes is just that people know that you know we learned this with the dot com bubble that it's just like not every idea is equal in in execution means everything so um you know I'm hoping in the next year or two we really start to see uh people like pushing through that 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 wall of uh of difficulty it it's it's not gonna be easy and not everybody's gonna make it, but um I think the things that come out on the other side. Um, all these that all these blockchain engineers are starting to to go and work on will happen. I think it's really important. Oh yeah, very important. And it's almost funny we talk about the, for the good of humanity when when there's um, projects and DApps out there like like CryptoKitties, for example, that really doesn't serve any useful purpose for humanity. But I mean, it has driven a lot of attention into the idea of what you can do with this stuff. Like what is an NFT? Like can, you can actually create some type of virtual value per sense. I, you know, um, I can't, I can't necessarily vouch for long-term value of uh, crypto kitties specifically, but I- anybody who's uh, talking in jest about the concept of, of nifties or, or crypto gaming or anything as being like trivial and not really meaningful to humanity is kind of off. It's, it's out of place because you look at things like, um, you know, just from a business perspective, you look at marketplaces like Fortnite, you mm-hmm. know, they have their own virtual currency. They have asked digital assets and they, they sell what $300 million worth of it every single month. That's like a small economy on its own. And it's, they're just selling digital goods within their own ecosystem. Now expand that to across multiple blockchains, different projects, different use cases. I mean, there's, there's just a massive potential and, and a lot of people, you know, it's entertainment is not something to sneeze at. People need entertainment. They need things, um, beyond just financial instruments. Right. And so Mm -hmm. I think, you know, I mean, it's up to these, these companies and projects to really like take it to that next level. But, um, and maybe some of these are just trivial examples, but you know, there were like little tiny betting apps on, on Bitcoin that people started building that we just thought, Oh, they're just like, crappy gambling uh sites or whatever but you know out of that grows large you know basically you know a lot of these financial exchanges and stuff are basically doing gambling i mean mm-hmm. you're making bets on on different things right and so you know they, they that use case has to grow from a simple case to something more expansive and and i think a lot of the the nifty use case and and things like that you know are going to expand into more meaningful and more important things over time for sure yeah it's it's more so about the innovation of it too i mean because you got to start from from somewhere with a lot of this stuff and what they've done a lot of ways to kind of push the envelope in terms of development and 
all these new ideas and the things that you can do with it and you could do with it, um, that they are doing. Um, I, I think that's the most important part of it. For sure. Before we go ahead and wrap up, are th- is there anything uh, that the audience should be aware of um, regarding what you guys are doing with Open Bazaar or is there anything that you're doing outside of Open Bazaar that you want people to know about? I'll go ahead and leave it open to you. Um, you know, I mean, basically we're really just, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that your audience is fairly technical. I mean, cause you're in <laughs> doing blockchain fairly, stuff, yeah. but, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, we, uh, but we're trying to get as many people using the platform as possible. So if you go to openbazaar.com, you don't even have to download or install anything. You can see what the marketplace looks like, what's available, who's on it and uh, get a taste of that. And if you really want to go ahead and, and download our, our mobile app Haven on the iOS and Android store or Google play store. And, uh, I mean, there's no registration involved. There's nothing, you know, your private, your private, your information is always private. It's on your own device and, uh, you can get started. You get a wallet, you can, you can buy, sell, do whatever you want on there and, uh, try it out. So we'd love anybody who's listening to, to do that. Really appreciate it. And, uh, you can follow us on, on Twitter at open bazaar. It's pretty easy. You can follow me at Brian C. Hoffman. And uh, if you have questions or you, you like what you hear, you can join us in our Slack community, openbazaar.slack.com. Sweet. I'll put a whole bunch of links in the description below as well. Um, Brian, thank you for taking the time to come on and everything. I really appreciate it. I'm sure you're a busy guy, but I mean, I'm also sure a lot of people in my audience will appreciate um, hearing more about what you guys are doing with Open Bazaar and what you see for it in the future. And yeah, thank you. appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate each and every one of these things. Uh, I, I love talking to people. So you never know when you, you cross back paths with uh, with anybody yeah. you've spoken to. So um, right. I love it. So thanks. Yeah, welcome. Uh, talk to you again soon.